and a petition on your heart this afternoon. Let's close our eyes in prayer as we confess our sins before him. A prayer of repentance, I believe, is always necessary on the Lord's day as we come to worship our holy and righteous God. We are reminded of our own unholiness and unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 reads, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no sin that cannot be cleansed by the blood of Christ. His mercy and grace are abundant. Brothers and sisters, let's pray and confess our sins before God. And if you can, I urge you to make your confessions specific, to be exact and precise in the sins you bring before God at this time. Let's take a moment in silent prayer in our hearts to pray a prayer of repentance. Lord, at this time, we bring to you our sins. We confess them before you, and we present them to you, Lord God, uh, not unashamedly. Certainly, we are aware of the guilt on our end. Lord, as we are reminded of the transgressions that taint us and continue to taint us, we are also equally reminded of the grace of Christ and the cross and the act of sacrifice that you demonstrated so powerfully as you died for us and demonstrated to us your love and so lord we look to christ as our savior we confess our sins before you and we are assured at this time as proverbs 28 13 reads he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion so in you we seek and we find compassion we thank you so much for christ your son we pray all this in his name amen i'd like to draw your attention uh, to the screen as we look to Heidelberg question number 11. Last week we looked at question, obviously question 10. Um, and so we, of course, have been talking about, you know, how we are tainted in our uh, original sin and we cannot fulfill the laws and the commandments that God has given us. And so is it unjust of God that he has made us this way? Of course, we talked about last week that that's not the case. So let's look at the question today. It reads, but is God not also merciful? So he's just and he must justly and righteously punish all sin, that his wrath must be unleashed upon the sinner. But we also reminded, right, uh, that he is indeed merciful. So the answer reads today, God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. So he's merciful and he's just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, severe punishment. Uh, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. So of course, we're going to see, as these questions continue, where that mercy leads. Um, but we're uh, taught today, once again, that this is not uh, a contradiction in the character or nature of God, that he is merciful, but he is also just, right? And we'll see how those two things uh, exist in the perfect nature of, of God. Uh, but we must be reminded of these things. We're always reminded of God's 
just character and also his merciful uh, attribute as well. So be, please be reminded of that today. Well, with that said, I'd like to pray for us as we begin our time, and uh, our praise team will come up and lead us in a time of singing. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you so much for being just. We thank you, Lord Father, that your justice requires a sin committed against you is punished. I know at times we see the severity of that punishment, uh, the everlasting punishment of body and soul to be so grave. And at times we can equate that with being unfair. We can equate that with being too harsh. That's the human mind that thinks so selfishly. We fail to recognize just how unrighteous we are, how wicked we are before a holy God. Let us be reminded of our place in creation, that we are not creator, that you are above us, and we are to obey you. We're to obey you not because we're just programmed robots to do so, but because you desire for us to do so, and that is the key to abundant life, to have faith and love and trust in you and to obey you as a result of our love for you. Gracious God, thank you for being merciful, merciful to the sinner that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, who came, took on flesh, died on our behalf, died the death that we deserve, and rose from the grave to conquer death and sin, and that our union with him is union with you forever and everlasting life, that our faith and trust in Christ alone is uh, faith, um, faith that leads to salvation and eternal life. We looked at the Gospel of John, which teaches us in 3.16, for you loved us so that you for, you, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. And so we thank you so much that you loved us this way, that you would send your son. We thank you so much, Lord God, for the brothers and sisters in this room. We thank you for their presence. We thank you for their life. And we thank you for their salvation. We thank you, Lord God, that you would unite us through the blood of Christ. Um, just like our earthly families, we're not always grateful for our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our grandparents, and certainly in the future, maybe even our kids, uh, we're not always grateful for them. But in big picture perspective, we are grateful for them. We're grateful for their presence, and we love them so. We are united with them in blood. And it is no different in the church. We are to consider as family, as adopted members of your family, and as brothers and sisters in, in, in our faith. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would see them in the same light, that we would see uh, a bond and a union that cannot be broken, um, that it is ultimately hinging on our faith in Christ. And so, Lord, we look to our left and we look to our right and behind us and in front of us and we see someone uh, that I hope one day we can truly re recognize as being family, someone truly that we ought to love um, as you love unto us. Lord, we're taught to forgive as you forgive us. The one who is forgiven is to forgive others. Lord, help us to have that kind of heart and that mercy in our own hearts for we are so hardened to do so when we are hurt. Lord God, we also pray for the world this at this time. We see wars and we see disasters happening all across the globe. We see floods currently in parts of the world that are uh, damaging homes. We see it here locally in Canada, as we saw uh, in Nova Scotia being rampaged by a flood and people losing their homes. We see in other parts of the world where bombs are hitting and um, unfortunately people are dying, innocent lives. Innocent lives in the sense that they have committed no crime on this earth uh, that they, be sh they should be shot, but here we see uh, in our news that that is the case. Uh, we can't really fathom or imagine at times what it means to live in such places in the world, but we pray for them. We pray for the church 
uh, that exist in these places, and we pray for uh, churches that exist and believers that exist in places where uh, the Christian faith is not accepted and places where it is quite dangerous to be a believer and follower of Christ. We pray for their safety, their security. We pray for the missionaries who are working tirelessly and uh, fearlessly and courageously in these places to give their lives uh, to be frontier uh, proclaimers of the gospel in places uh, that could mean risking their own. Lord, we ask that you just be um, with um, the church today as they gather in all, all corners of the earth, uh, in communities and sanctuaries, not unlike our own, smaller, bigger, whatever it may be, where two or three are gathered, you are pleased. Lord God, we ask, oh Lord, that you be with them. Thank you for, once again, this time, this opportunity for us to sing, to pray, and to read from your word. We ask the Spirit to teach us this afternoon as we read from the Gospel of Mark. May these verses teach us and convict our hearts. Thank you and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's rise from our seats and sing together. Can tear away 
continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're in chapter 8, reading verses 11 to 13, a short passage today, just three verses. So if you have a Bible, please turn it to Mark 8, verses 11 to 13. I'll be reading from my Bible, and you can follow in yours. It's just three verses, so not too long for today. Uh, last week, we looked at the first 10 verses where Jesus fed the 4,000, uh, and we differentiated from the feeding of the 5,000, found in Mark 6. Of course, that was in Jewish territory, in this particular feeding of the 4,000, we found Jesus in Gentile territory. And we talked about the importance of that, and we talked about the importance of this feeding, and how it's not just simply a doublet, but that it's a unique miracle that was performed to a uniquely different crowd uh, for a uniquely different purpose. Today we see Jesus, at the end of last week's passage, we saw him travel to Dalmanutha. It's the first time we're seeing him there. Uh, and so we're going to see what happens in this particular region that Jesus travels to. So Mark 8, verses 11 to 13. This is the word of God. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I had a friend one time that I met um, during my time on campus ministry. Part of our training required us to go to Los Angeles, um, and so I had an opportunity to go to LA for about three weeks and receive a particular uh, training uh, that the, all the staffs had to receive. And during my time there, I spent um, in sort of like a dormitory, if you will, uh, with 20 others, uh, about you know, it was about half and half, male and female, uh, all first-year staff. So we were training to uh, join the staff team on campus. Now, these people were all L.A.-based people, right? And I was like the one lone Toronto guy. Um, so I got an opportunity to kind of experience L.A. life, which was kind of fun and interesting. Really missed the tacos there, which was really good. Uh, if you've ever been, make sure you check out the taco trucks. They're really good. Um, but I had an opportunity to uh, room with a couple guys, one of the guys, uh, and of course, like the first time we meet, we always, we, the first thing we discuss is, of course, how and why are you here? How did you get here, right? One of the guys was telling me he used to be like a gang member in L.A. I, I don't know how credible it is, but anyways, he seemed like he could have been, uh, to judge a book by its cover. Um, and he was telling me he was riding like his Harley, like Davidson, like on whatever I, whatever it was, a highway. And um, 
I guess uh, he got into, um, I, got, I don't know, he got into like some state and he was uh, discussed, he had some Christian friends who were sharing the gospel with him. And uh, long story short, uh, he got into a mode where he was contemplating, uh, am I a believer or am I not a believer, right? And he was really like trying to figure out this answer, like do I believe in Jesus or do I not? Do I leave this life as a you know, part of this gang or not? Uh, again, like, all of this is just his testimony. Don't, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, and so he was praying to God, riding his Harley Davidson on this highway, and he's saying, Lord, if this, you know, if you desire for me to, um, you know, trust and put my life, um, you know, and put it, in, in, trust it in the hands of Christ, uh, let me know. Like, give me some kind of sign, right? That was his prayer. And so he was, like, riding his motorcycle on this highway, and as he was going, this giant truck passed him by, and on the side of this truck, it said in huge letters, Jesus saves. And he read that, and he was like, oh, my God. And that was it. He became a believer. Um, funny story, right? A lot of stories are like this. Um, a lot of believers have uh, similar, I guess, encounters or similar experiences in the Christian life. Not to discredit them. Not to make them light or to say... Such testimonies are just humorous, comical episodes uh, or anecdotes, and I don't mean to uh, make it seem that way. I just thought it was a cute story that I wanted to share. Uh, but it also speaks to this, is that times when we ask God for a sign, right, in any sort of episode of our life or season of our life, uh, we're looking for some kind of miraculous sign like this, are we not? We're looking for some kind of supernatural, whether it be timing or means by which God speaks to us as if this word is not enough. An interesting thing happened this week. Uh, if you know me, uh, <laughs> those of you who were at the Koa retreat that I, I guest spoke at, you know, you know around the fireplace what happened that night. All I spoke about was not Jesus, but aliens, right? Um, and so an interesting thing happened this week at the U.S. Congress. Uh, if you know what happened at Capitol Hill, a whistleblower from the U.S. government who was a part of the department that handled uh, not, it's no longer called UFOs, it's called Unidentified Anonymous Phenomena, the UAP. The department claimed um, this man who is a whistleblower, who is someone who exposes, right, he's basically a rat, uh, what many have speculated for a long time now, right, many people have Roswell and all these other things and we watch all these alien movies, that the U.S. government was secretly and is secretly currently in possession of alien spacecrafts, what they called UAPs. Uh, what shook social media, however, uh, and by the way, I showed my wife this this week, and I was like, this is so interesting, this is crazy, this guy's saying there's aliens, and she was just disinterested, she was just all over, like, she's like, forget it, I'm just gonna watch TikTok. And then it appeared on TikTok, and then she's like, oh my goodness, can you believe this? And I was like, I literally showed you that. Like, that's literally the video I showed you. Anyways, what sh it just shook social media. Um, and it was this, it was his further claim under oath with the Congress, that they were also, the U.S. government, in possession of alien pilots. By his words, biologics that are non-human. Without getting into like any sort of deeper alien conspiracy theories, which I could, but I don't want to at this time, because this is the pulpit, and what that might mean for Christians and the gospel, again, something I won't do now, but perhaps a very interesting conversation over lunch or dinner. The Congress's job, right? So the Congressmen and women who are part of that uh, committee, their job is to cross-examine and interrogate uh, this man and a bunch of other people uh, to make certain his claims, to verify the validity of what he is saying. 
So they sought evidence, they sought testimonials, things that he claimed he could provide, things that could point the congressmen and women to the truth and validity of this man's very audacious claim, right? I mean, it's no, like, it's not the first time, right, we've had whistleblowers from the U.S. government say the U.S. government is in possession of aliens and alien spacecrafts, right? This has been happening since the 1970s. I always did wonder, though, just to get into alien conspiracy theory for one second, why is it always the U.S.? Why do aliens only go to the United States? I don't know. I always, like, why not French aliens or, like, Russian aliens? Or maybe they do. Maybe they are. Maybe they're secretly kept. But here's the point. They want to be convinced, right? Why? Because they don't, they don't take his words to be true just because he said it until they can be proven true with evidence. It's kind of how our system works, right? Science works this way. Um, you know, theories have to be tested, hypothesis is made, but then it has to be tested and observed. The default of the human mind many times is to be skeptical. I had the opportunity to share the gospel on campus many times throughout my student life and my staff life, and one such conversation entered my mind this week. I was speaking with an atheist, uh, I believe it was Ryerson, now renamed TMU, um, that was perhaps, I think he was agnostic at best, right? He was not totally closed, but an atheist. And he had a religious upbringing, but was unconvinced by any religious claim especially for a deity, a divine being, or higher power. He's very, you know, skeptical of that. So he asked me, hey, Max, if God is real and he wants us to believe in him, why doesn't he just appear before us in physical form? And then I, and I'm sure any reasonable other human being, would believe. Now, there's a greater reason for this. I think it has to do with God not really being interested in us just believing in him, but also loving him, right? Um... And so it was a long conversation, but let me sum up. I told him, well, about 2,000 years ago, God did come. He did appear on earth in physical form. And we hung him on a cross. Now, why do I share these two stories? Human beings confine reality within the lines of what our minds deem rational and acceptable. Anything that escapes those self-defined parameters of logic will require much convincing to rest with ease in our minds and receive as reality. I'm sure, you've, I'm sure you've debated with someone in your life before, whether it be over an issue that has occurred, you know, maybe you had a friend and you know, there was a bit of a tussle and so you had to like, he said, she said mode, right? And what's always the default? Skepticism, assumption, and always thinking the worst until you get to the evidence, right? And then it's like, oh, wait, it was like completely different from what I thought it was, right? Our minds tend to think this way because we connect dots without figuring out where the dots actually are. But you see, the problem is twofold. We think we have reality figured out, and so we don't easily let anything break that paradigm, so we're naturally skeptical. And secondly, we're eager to diminish and destroy anything new that challenges what we define as reality, seeking evidence for the sake of convincing as opposed to seeking evidence for validation. Those are two different streets. Those are two different approaches. I'm sure that in Congress, some are seeking to cross-examine this whistleblower to truly know, are there aliens? Are we in danger? And others are looking to get this ridiculous man and this claim off their agenda. My atheist friend had a good question. 
Why doesn't God just appear before us? But the source of his question was pride. In thinking this, that God must yield to his senses, to his understanding, to make things palatable for him. Instead of thinking this, and this is what I told him, if God is real, then it is us who must get to know him as he has chosen to reveal himself. Because if he is perfect and all-knowing, he must have a perfect reason for doing things the way he does them, including how he reveals himself. Subtle, yet such drastically different attitudes, is it not? The Pharisees in today's text mirror our own heart, and they mirror our own mind in many ways. And so our prayer and our hope, at least my prayer and my hope for you, will be that as we learn from the passage, we learn to distance ourselves from the attitude of the Pharisees. Two points to today's sermon. First, testing Jesus. Secondly, no sign will be given. First point, testing Jesus. Now you would think that after such a powerful miracle of feeding the multitudes, both in Gentile region and in Jewish territory, um, and doing this twice, so it's a yet again situation, and many other wondrous acts and miracles that Jesus has performed all over this region. All these acts and wonders that Jesus demonstrated, powers of divine, or sorry, demonstrations of divine power and authority. A proper reaction to such a being would be to be in awe, to revere, to celebrate. Instead, Jesus re-enters Jewish territory today and is greeted with what? Malice. He's greeted with skepticism. He goes home, so to speak, to his own people, and the response is not to receive him well, but instead to test him. Now let's look at that word test in today's text. In verse 11, that word test is important to the understanding of today's text. In Greek, it really is closer to the English word to tempt than to test. This is not a lab experiment where the Pharisees are trying to see if, truly, if Jesus truly is the Messiah and they're experimenting to see if he's, he's actually telling the truth. No, their heart intention is all too clear. And Jesus' response to them should make it even clearer. Their disdain for Jesus is all too clear as well. Thus, their true motive or their intention is to diminish Christ and ultimately to get rid of him. They want to accuse him and we know that on the cross, when they achieve their goal of finally seeing to the death of this man, they will hang over Jesus' head a sarcastic yet ironically correct sign that reads, the King of the Jews. And not only that, they will cry out and continue to test or tempt Jesus as he hangs on the cross and bleeds for some of them who will come to faith. What do they yell? Hey, if you really are the Son of God, come down, free yourself, as if he could not. And what does this remind you of, friends? Remember at the beginning of Christ's ministry, he entered into the wilderness where he fasted and was tested by Satan three times. He entered into the wilderness and, of course, Satan meets him there. Remember telling him, hey, if you're hungry, why don't you turn stone into bread and eat. But what is expressed as a testing on Christ's end to be tested 
is really temptation being thrust from the enemy. The Pharisees are functioning just like that, just like the enemy of Christ. They are tempting him to snare him and take him captive. They are seeking for evidence not to believe in him as the Son of God, but to destroy him as a liar. Too many times have I encountered non-Christians who are great at coming up with so-called evidence that Christianity is untrue. Here's the evidence why Christianity is false. But when a rebuttal is given, or further explanation or evidence is provided, it is completely disregarded. Why? Because their goal is not true investigation. And of course, this is a generalization. Not all unbelievers are this way. But generally speaking, most unbelievers who have been hostile that I've met, um, their goal is not true investigation of the truth. Their aim is to prove that their preconceived notion and position that Christianity is false is correct. So they're not seeking the truth. They're just seeking to defend themselves. Does this make sense? It's a very odd condition. And when, I, when you spot this, it's very important, not that you point it out and go, ha-ha, see, you're not a real truth seeker. Rather, to understand that the human heart is conditioned in this way, that we tend to operate on these grounds, right? It's hard. It's a tough pill to swallow that everything you've known and believed up to a certain point has been false, right? Even though the truth is so great, it leads you to something wonderful. I mean, I experienced this very early on in my ministry, um, before, I mean, I grew up in the church, I became a believer when I was 15, 16 years old, and then I was a Christian for about, what, like five, no, like six, seven years or so, like 20 to 23 yeah, 25 actually, so 10 years, 10 years of Christian life, um, so I went through like high school, university, did all my, you know, uh, campus ministry thing, all my church thing, went through university, um, even entered into master's and I'm in my MDiv. And then I meet this guy and he's like, hey Max, did you know that um, everyone should go to hell? Now you would think, 10 years of being a Christian, I would know that. And he's like, God has elected some to be saved and this is how he saves them. And I kid you not, I've heard the gospel hundreds of times before that. But for the first time, it started really making sense, right? All these, like, thoughts that I had in my mind started breaking down. But in the moment, you know how I reacted to this guy? I was like, I hate it. I hate this guy. Because <laughs> this guy's destroying everything I thought was true in my mind. It was so hard to swallow a truth because it meant what I knew was potentially wrong. The Pharisees demand a sign from Christ as if he has not already, already provided enough. In fact, he's provided more than enough by, by my count. They demand more, not because their appetite had grown for these miracles or because they really wanted to believe Jesus and just needed an extra bit of a push. Hey, Jesus, just one more sign and I will believe. Rather, they sought a sign from heaven. Well, what does this mean? They asked of Jesus something they felt he could not provide. They wanted to make Jesus mortal 
and nothing more than an earthly miracle worker, as if that's not extraordinary on its own, as if any of them could replicate what he had already done. Oh, the irony that they sought a sign from heaven, not knowing Jesus himself was the ultimate sign from heaven. Light that came into darkness, God that had taken on flesh, the second person made visible before them, and yet to him from their audacity they sought more. Give us more. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, we fail at times to comprehend the Lord who is so obviously working in our lives that instead we set our sights on what we want instead of what he has given. Let us not be those who test Jesus in this way. Second point, no sign will be given. Now, if I were in Jesus' shoes as the Messiah and the Son of God, and I am not, I would unleash such a great divine power on these men that they would shake in their sandals. But alas, I am not Jesus. I do not have divine power authority. And instead, we find these words in our Bibles that Jesus sighed deeply. That's almost scarier, isn't it? The Greek word here is unique in all of the New Testament. And it holds closer translation to the English word to groan. But it is not out of anger that Jesus groans. It is out of, as scholars write, a holy exasperation over the unfaithfulness of these men. Now remember that in contrast to these Pharisees, Jesus had just come from Gentile regions where he also performed similar miracles as he had in Jewish lands. And yet the very people that were so distant from God in the eyes of the Jews were ironically far closer than the leaders of the Jewish faith. Mark and irony strikes again. He paints the picture so vividly to us through storytelling and through geography transitioning Jesus from Gentile to Jewish territory to help us see the contrast of their response to Christ and his power. One celebrates in the sign given, you have fed us. The other seeks a sign to test him, show us more. I had a student who who once said this. (laughs) This is really funny. By the way, this contributes nothing to the sermon. It's just a funny story. Maybe when they asked for a sign, he said, Max, he said, Max, maybe when these people, these Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked for a sign, Jesus heard sigh, so he sighed. He was like, it's just one letter off, isn't it? Funny, funny, funny thought, but obviously wrong. Jesus' sigh is reminiscent, right, of what? God's groaning against the unfaithful generation of Noah's days, the Jews of the wilderness, heading to the promised land. Both groups were unfaithful to God and it caused great exasperation, groaning. But just as God would provide an ark of salvation, as the people of Israel were led to the promised land, so too will Christ die on the cross and through him will people be saved, salvation given and led to him. This deep sigh of Jesus is not a sigh of giving up. Like when we play softball and they're like destroying us and we all sigh together when we give up. It does not mean that Pharisees have no hope. For we know Paul was a Pharisee and he comes to faith. Or that God was done with the Jews. For we know that the first apostles were all Jews. 
First believers were likely all Jews, or many of them were. Rather, it should show you that as the people of God and as the church today, that we ought to be cautious not to replicate this behavior of unfaithfulness and attitude of the Jews. Mark is not saying it is better to be a Gentile. He is stating it is possible to be lost even though you are sitting in a church today. This is firm warning to believers, firm warning to churchgoers, but it's also a firm invitation to the unbeliever to see Christ for who he is as he has chosen to reveal. The word sign here does not mean miracle. It's not a synonymous term in the New Testament, especially in Mark's gospel. Jesus provided more than enough of those miracles to make a case for his divinity, has he not? But what the Pharisees sought was a divine authorization, like a signature sign, if you will. Now, how that would come to be or what that looked like is debated in scholarship. But historical Jewish texts teach us that divine authorization was outwardly and objective in nature, observable to all. They wanted to know from God himself that Jesus was truly of heaven's source, heavenly source. Now, what nature of sign would be enough for the Pharisees to take Jesus as truly originating from heaven? That's up to debate. But that appears to be what they wanted from Jesus. Show us this proof. Show us this sign that you are of what you say you are. Think of Moses' burning bush moment or David's anointing as king or something of that sort that God would authorize him as being sent from heaven. Well, it would have been really nice if these men were at the baptism of Christ, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have? But perhaps they were busy that day. Maybe their agendas were a little bit full. For as the heavens opened, the dove rested, and the voice of God cried out. Right? This is my son, whom I love. Sometimes people seek that which has already been given. Are we not foolish this way? Because what has been given to many of us is not enough. It's not enough. We seek more because we choose not to believe what is already enough. Reminds me again of my friend who wanted to see God before him. Who is to say that he would not deny that either? It was just a dream. I was just hallucinating. My mind was playing tricks. My eyes were playing tricks. I think we're conditioned this way. And so brothers and sisters, I think ultimately what we learn here today and what we see here in the text today is the condition of the sinful human. But what we also see magnificently, right, is the revelation, the self-revelation of Christ. Allow me to conclude with a few wonderful reminders. As the famous hymn states, we are prone to wander, so we must be more prone to pray. Seek the Lord always. Brother and sister, you have been given the greatest sign from heaven. He is Christ. Right? The greatest sign given is Christ himself. Thirdly, there is no need for more than what has already been provided. Yes, we can go to God with requests and desires. But brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, if you are a believer, your greatest need has been met. Your requests are nothing more 
than temporary luxuries in this world that mean nothing to your eternity. To stress over that means you are losing sight of the heavenly. Not to say, you know, as human beings in our sinful state, that we won't stress, that we won't have consideration of the life we live now. And it's not to say for you to just throw away everything and just say, meaningless is this life, right? Go like full Ecclesiastes mode um, and just throw away everything. Like, I won't work anymore. I won't do this anymore. No, certainly the life you're given is a gift and we, leave, and we live it out the best way we can. We do things that will honor the Lord. We work, we labor and we toil. We have families, we get married, we have children and we do our best in church and we live with the brothers and sisters of the faith we do all of these things, certainly, even though they're temporary, right? I mean, Jesus himself took on flesh and showed us what it means to live the earthly life. But our sights, they are always set on the heavenly. So when storms come, when the troubles arise, and when the stress levels are getting higher, your greatest need has been met. And so no amount of earthly torture can take your eternity away. And you can hold on to that with absolute certainty. If you know and love the Jesus that I know and love, the one who came, died, rose from the dead, the one who died on our behalf, took on our sin, overcame death for us, if you believe in him, brother and sister, let us rejoice in him. Let us rejoice in him together. Despite differences and difficulties we may have with one another at times, Christ taught us to love one another so that others would know that we are followers of him. Praise Christ, for he came, he died, and he rose. Finally, Jesus in the last verse leaves Dalmanutha, leaving the Pharisee crowd, having not adhered to their request. They probably thought he was running away from them. They probably thought, we won this day. We defeated Christ. This guy couldn't provide a sign. He's out of here. When in fact it was Jesus, and perhaps Mark in his storytelling, making, us, making a statement to us that it was them who were running from Christ. Let us not run from him. But cliched as it is, run to him always. Metaphorically speaking, of course. We are to go to Christ always. To seek him always. And to love him always. My prayer for you. Let's take some time to pray and reflect on what we've learned today from God's word. And then we'll respond together as we sing to God. Let's rise from our seats and sing together.
in our lives. I pray, I pray that it would bear fruit in our lives in the form of conviction and transformation and ultimately conduct, speech, thought, these things changing to be more like Christ. We ask for continual sanctification and the Spirit, uh, as the Spirit of God works in us. We thank you so much for that gift and we thank you for today. Lord, the provision you provide to us always in our life, the basic essentials that we need to live in this world and to live in the community that we live in, to function in this place um, as a member and citizen of this country, as well as a member of this church. We thank you for all things. We thank you for our jobs. We thank you for our education. We thank you for our friends and our families, and we thank you for all things that you give to us, allowing us uh, to be a part of this earthly life and to partake in it in a meaningful way. But we also thank you um, as we give to you, Lord God, out of cheerful hearts and joyful hearts, we ask, O oh Lord, that the offering that we give to you this day would be used for the greater good of your church and your kingdom and your name renown. That, Lord, these offerings would be used faithfully by this community, that we would be able to establish a ministry of Christ in this city and continue to proclaim the gospel where it is needed for those who need to hear it most. We thank you so much for all of this, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, it's good to see all of you. 
Um, it's wonderful uh, on the Lord's Day to have so many of you join us. I know some of, uh, for example, Jane and Andrew are still in Vancouver, and uh, uh, we'll be seeing them soon, but welcome back, Victoria. Uh, hopefully you had a great time there, and uh, for the rest of you as well. Um, we have a couple people missing, but uh, they're just on family trips and all sorts of things. So uh, please, prayers be with them. Uh, welcome to Sheepgate. It's your first time. We'd love to get to know you. For example, your name would be a great start, and uh, just to get to know you and and what brings you to our church? We'd love to hear your story. Uh, so please, uh, welcome team, if you can, uh, engage with our newcomers, and let's get to know them a bit. Offerings can be sent today uh, via e-transfer and or old school basket in the back. Envelopes, just make sure you write your legal names down. And uh, offerings can be sent to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to give specifically towards our missionaries, uh, both in Turkey as well as here locally on campus, please make sure you note that in the notes section. We'll make sure those funds go there. Uh, brothers and sisters, please join us for fellowship following service. We have food prepared for you in our other buildings. If you need a ride, just let us know. But we'd love to have you there, um, all of you, as many of you as possible. Um, confessions uh, is postponed today as it is the end of the month. Uh, we'll be having our end of month group talks um, and prayers. Uh, typically, uh, we allot some funds and time for you to go out and grab a coffee and whatnot. And the weather is nice, so it would have been nice to do it. Uh, but we do have a very early softball game today, so time is a little bit tight. So uh, what we're going to do instead is uh, Andrew and his gang of welcome members, um, they are going to allocate some seating for us during lunch. Um, and so in these groups, over the meal, we'd love for you to discuss a couple things. One, introduce yourselves, obviously, uh, if you don't know each other. If you know each other, the main thing I want you to discuss is, well, what'd you get out of the sermon? What did we learn today in God's word, right, from God's word? What did we learn? What are we learning? Uh, perhaps there's a personal prayer topic on your heart that you'd love to share, or just a general statement on how you're doing in your walk with the Lord. Um, so just some spiritual conversation over some physical food, uh, I think would be a wonderful way to spend our afternoon. So this lunchtime, please use it in that way. Um, it doesn't have to be like super, you know, uh, emotional or like crazy in depth or anything like that, but just, you know, share what's on your heart and your mind. And we'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, so we'll spend lunch that way. I hope that's okay with everyone. And uh, I think Andrew and his team will have that ready for us. Okay, uh, visitations are ongoing, and um, there's plenty of them. Uh, some of you might be wondering, well, I filled out the form. Why is Max not messaging me? Uh, I will be messaging you. There's just so many people. So I had to schedule one by one. Uh, but some of you I will schedule today. Uh, so I will be in touch very soon. Uh, but yeah, so far, so good. It's been wonderful. Uh, last week's highlight, meeting Paul's mom, was fantastic. If you've never met Paul's mom, you have to meet Paul's mom. She is quite the lady and quite, a, quite the cook. Um, Paul promised he would cook for me, but he had his mom cook for me, which is a bit of a cheat, cheat code there. Uh, but great job, um, and uh, it was a fantastic week. Uh, cross-conference, January 3rd to 5th. It's January 3rd to 5th. That's 2024, so that's next year. I know it's like what is it, like end of July, and you're like, what? Why are we announcing this now? Well, we need to buy early bird tickets. So those of you in the group chat for CrossCon, uh, we will be buying our, your tickets this week. Um, and then for the rest of you, we can obviously buy more, but it might be a little bit of an extra cost. So there might be some cost involved if you register a little bit later. But if you are interested, just interested, like, oh, I don't know if I'm going yet or whatever, but are interested, again, we have some donations that will cover some of you who don't have the means, financial means to go. We'd love to have you go, right? It's gonna be a fantastic time. Again, CrossCon is 
a missions conference, right? So it just teaches about uh, going, sending missionaries, what's happening globally uh, with a gospel proclamation, and just an opportunity to engage with different organizations and groups and churches uh, that are on the frontier of global missions. And so uh, I want to welcome you all to participate. Yes, it is, and some of you asked this as well, it is predominantly sort of geared towards 18 to 25 year olds, but if you're 26 to 30, you're fine, you can go, it's not a big problem. Like they don't ban you from coming in because you're too old or whatever. Um, anyone and everyone's welcome to go. So uh, please let me know by today if you are interested and uh, we'd love to have you join us for that. Bible study this week is postponed. Uh, we kind of left last Thursday with a cliffhanger. So some of us are like, why? Why are we postponing? Uh, but unfortunately, First Thursday of each month, uh, we do have our DG leaders uh, meeting, so I'm going to prioritize that for this week. So no Bible study this week. We'll resume next Thursday, so please join us for that. DG leaders this Thursday, please join us at the church for meeting. Uh, softball game, as mentioned earlier today, Jack Goodlett, 5 p.m. Uh, last regular season game, next week's playoffs. We'll see how it goes. May the Lord be with us. Uh, we will be having church barbecue August 13th, so that's was that two weeks? Two weeks from now, right? August 13th, church barbecue. Uh, people keep asking me, what's the menu? I don't know. It's like chicken, pork, beef, whatever one of those things, or two of those things. Who knows, right? Please join us. Uh, finally, happy birthday, Chris, Hannah. I didn't know you had the same birthday. That's amazing. July 28th, 7th? One of those. Um, so today we're celebrating all July birthdays. So we have a cake ready for all the July babies. Um, but your books are in the mail. So I'm so sorry. I'm so slow with the book ordering. I will. I should just order the same book, like a hundred of them. Anyways, um, your books are on the way, so they'll be arriving this week, and I'll give it to you next week. Anyways, with that said, uh, let's rise from our seats and off the Lord's prayer, and then we'll head over uh, for fellowship. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you at the other building for lunch. Is calling us Thank you,